Hi folks and welcome to another episode of the Future in Finance podcast series. This week we're talking about CMAP topic, oh no, CMAP 1, topic 14, which is understanding and satisfying customer needs. Don't laugh. If you're new here, this podcast is dedicated to helping you smash through those CMAP exams. Every week we pick one of the topics from the London Institute of Banking and Finance's study text and we work through it together. We try and give it some pizzazz, we drop in some real world examples, sometimes we're even a little bit funny, although that is never guaranteed. And if you're not new here, welcome back, you're an absolute legend, it's great to have you. You might be watching this as a video on YouTube, which is completely new, so this is our first ever episode, so welcome if you are. If you're still listening to this on Spotify, you can watch us on YouTube if you want. Either which way, please make sure you like, subscribe, give us a rating as long as it's a good one. All that good stuff, we basically just like to see how many real-life people tune in each week. And, Maria, I forgot to tell you, you can't swear. What? I think that YouTube guidelines say that the language has to be clean and my technology isn't advanced enough to bleep out any swear words. So, no explicit content, please. Thank you. I want to swear. For any of you that don't know, this is Maria... She's my best mate, she's the money muggle, also known as the financial dumbass, the poshest girl to ever live in Liverpool. She has no idea about CMAT. We walk through this together every week, just trying to help you guys learn. Okay, let's fire through the usual future in finance updates. First of all, if you tuned in to the webinar last Thursday, first of all, thanks so much. I did not expect as many people to turn up as they did, so there was like 30 to 40 people in there. And you all stuck till the end, which was like 50 minutes long. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I was offering to email out the webinar, but it turns out I didn't press record on the Zoom thing. So I'm going to be running another one because I actually do need to record one. I mentioned on the masterclass. No, I didn't. I mentioned on the webinar that I have new masterclass dates available. So if you've been living under a rock, basically I do one-to-one CMAP training, but I also do fast track courses. And it's five days with me and no more than seven other students. I help you pass your CMAP exam. We go through everything that is in the textbook. I've made it kind of fun, definitely relatable, way easy to understand. You get lifetime access to an e-learning platform. You get an audio study guide series. You get an hour's one-to-one with me. And you get a pass guarantee, which means if you don't pass your exam, don't worry, you can come and sit the course again as many times as you need. Or you can just get the recordings. So the masterclass, if you're not booked on, is 279 quid, which is an absolute bargain. I've got one space left for the week of the 4th of September. I've got a few spaces left for the week of the 18th of September. And a couple of spaces left for the week of the 2nd of October. They run Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. You can split your payments into four different pay- into four monthly payments of about 60-something pounds. I want to say £69. Also, if you lo- use code LAUNCH23, you get an extra 10% off. I am fumbling the hell out of this today, Maria. It must be the video recording. I don't it's know what's going on. It's video recording, the added pressure. Now, before we jump in, we've got the super catchy June jingle, which I'm going to let Maria introduce, and then I will figure out how to add it into a YouTube video. Topic 14. So you're going to remember topic 14 because it's the closest that we've gotten to talking about 
what you actually do as a financial advisor. So if you already work in the industry and you just need your CMAP to become a mortgage advisor, you're going to be pretty familiar with all this stuff. If you're completely changing careers and this is all new to you, this is going to be some really good insight for you. So we're going to go through the objectives from the textbook first up. By the end of this topic, we should have a really good understanding of typical financial needs at different stages of somebody's life cycle, the hard facts, which it actually gives me in those, recorded in a fact find, how to establish a client's plans, needs, attitudes and preferences, preparing and presenting recommendations, how to complete a sale and after sales care. We always say this every week, but this isn't a comprehensive study guide. What that means is I'm not going to get a chance to get through all of that with you in the next 25 to 30 minutes. We will probably get through the first three. So if you do want a comprehensive study guide, I can help you out with that. Just head on over to cmap.com, which usually I've dropped in here like two minutes in. So cmap.com is where you can find all the good stuff. But this topic is all about the kind of things we need to know to get the best possible picture of a client's financial circumstances in order to make the best mortgage recommendations, which is how they end up happy and we end up making a bunch of money. So the first thing that I'm going to talk about is how we understand somebody's financial needs because they vary from person to person. So you can absolutely guarantee that what I need financially is completely different from what Maria or Maria, wherever you are, whatever you need financially so it's about having an understanding of the person. Yes, it's it's important to understand their credit score and how much of a mortgage they need and how much deposit they have. That's all super important too, but it is a personal service that you give in. And when you make it a personal service, you keep people really happy, which means they're going to keep coming back and that's just how Good. you make big mega money. Exactly. So we're going to talk about savings patterns to start us off. And I guess... A good way to imagine this is to think about like 16 or 17 year old you and start from there. And then we're going to work through your imaginary life cycle and what you save in some thought processes might potentially look like one day. So if you just join in this fresh out of college, first of all, welcome you fresh faced babies. You have no idea what's coming up next. We know a little bit more, but not as much as some people, which I'm kind of glad of. So the first stage of the savings pattern I don't know, you might be. Maria, how old were you when you first got given, like, a decent amount of cash? I mean, it's probably birthdays, isn't it? So probably yeah. I'd say my 16th, I probably got a cheque off one of my grandparents. Ooh, probably £100, which, as a 16-year-old... You is, are well even now, if someone gave me a cheque for 100 quid, I'd be delighted. So, yeah. I mean... Pass me the keys to the Porsche. Exactly. Exactly. So, when you start getting given cash as a teenager or a young adult or whatever you want to class yourself as, eventually, once you've figured out that there's too much for you to just be able to sweat, spend on sweets and magazines, you need somewhere to keep that cash that isn't in one of those little piggy banks because you can't fold notes and put them into those little pigs. I've tried it before. So, you might look at something like a bank account... Sometimes your parents set up bank accounts for you when you're a teenager anyway. That is the first part of the saving cycle. So it sounds super obvious, but that is where everybody starts, with cash and then with a bank account. And then you could open a savings account. So you've got your regular stuff that comes out. Maybe your parent, you turn 17, your parents tell you you have to stop paying for your own phone bill, which is an absolute con. So you need a personal account, you need a savings account. And that's roughly where everybody starts. It's not until you get a few years down the line or a few more years down the line, if you're a student, where you might want to look at different kinds of savings accounts because you're getting a monthly paycheck. 
or you're getting a monthly payment from your employer, you've got a good amount of money in your current account, you've got a savings account that's looking fairly decent, so you think, okay, I'm going to start saving for the future, I'm going to start saving for a house, I'm going to start saving to go travelling, whatever it is, at that point, you can look at savings accounts, but people might also look at longer-term investment accounts. So you remember we talked about the help-to-buy ISAs, where you put the money in, the government puts money in. That's where those kind of things come in. You can also look at stocks and shares if you wanted to do that, but that really depends on, A, how financially educated you are, because a lot of people would prefer to have advice on that, and that is definitely not something I was thinking about at 23. Nope. And, B, it depends on the market. So if you look at the news right now, things aren't looking so great, so people might not want to put their money at risk, which is completely fair. And then the next thing that we need to consider is things like loans, so customer debts. Usually when you're younger, that's pretty much retained to a credit card that somebody sent you in your post, and you're like, woohoo, let's go to Malaga. Or car finance. If you're taking out a finance loan, anything like that, you might get a finance for your sofa, all that kind of stuff. But really, when you're in your, like, your late teens, your early 20s, maybe even your early 30s, you haven't really thought much past that point. No, I mean, I think when we were probably late teens, early 20s, it was more a case of we had student finance, so we weren't thinking about saving for uni like maybe people over in the States need to. Um, really, a lot of it was gap year related, wasn't it? People working jobs to save money to go travelling or pay for cars or Glastonbury tickets. Or... I was about to say, for you it might have been a gap year. For me, it was a three-day festival at which I managed to blow a £1,000 and then had to ring my mum on day two and ask for more money. Oh, wow. I mean, no, because I buggered my A-levels, so I did three years of A-levels. Um, so my gap year... On YouTube, Marie, you might have blown the whole shebang. I don't know if you can say buggered on YouTube. Buggered is not a swear word, and we've just said it three times in quick succession. So just cut this out. <laughs> You're just going to have to figure out a way of muting after that is something called a fact find now it sounds really obvious and it is really obvious it's exactly what it says on the tin but it is so so important for your cmap exam so this was a requirement that was established by the financial services act in 1986 and it continues to get regulated by the fca now the basic idea is you need to build a clear picture of any everyone's circumstances experience needs and objectives which is a key part by obtaining all their personal and financial information through a fact-finding process now there's no fca guide on how you do this but generally speaking if you work for a mortgage broker or a bank the company designs a process which would meet all the fca's requirements for assessing suitability taking into account um, the market in which they're transacting business usually that is in the form of a script so if you're completely new to the industry you get a job as a mortgage broker They'll be like, here is a list of questions you need to ask the customer. You need to fill this form in. This makes sure that we're being FCA compliant. So you record the information on something called a fact find. That's exactly why it's called that. And usually any fees that you would look to charge for your services or for the broker services, they are disclosed before the fact find stage. So you speak to a customer. They say, hey, I need a mortgage or I need a remortgage. You go, cool. How much for? What's your name? You might take some really basic information and then you get the ball rolling with the fact find, but they need to know how much you're going to charge for that service before you do that. With me? With you. Awesome. So to gather appropriate information, it's necessary to ask questions like, what's your financial situation? Not this broad, by the way, you would be way more specific. 
Um, what are your existing and future needs? And we're going to loop back around to that one if that is not ringing any bells. What's your ability to provide for them? Your attitude towards providing for them, which again, I'm going to cover. And your objectives and knowledge and experience of investing. So for me, that would be a big fat zero. So what this does is it supports an assessment of your customer's ability to understand and accept investment risk. A lot of people don't associate mortgages with investment risk when actually a mortgage is the biggest investment you could potentially ever make in your lifetime. Yeah. Pause for dramatic effect. Sorry, I don't know why I stopped there. It felt like a really natural point, and apparently I was wrong. So there's a thing called hard facts and soft facts. Maria, would you like to take a guess at what the difference between these things are? I mean, is one reality and one your reality? Ooh, interesting. I don't know what that means. Tell me more. (laughs) No, I was literally going to be like, you know how someone goes, well, the sky is blue and someone else is like, is it? Or is that just what you think? And then you have a whole conversation about it. You are spot on with that one. So I will explain a little bit further just for everybody else. So a hard fact is stuff that doesn't change and that isn't going to change with time or with money or anything like that. So a hard fact would be something like your personal and your family details. So who you are, where you live. I know where you live can change depending on if you move house, but where you live is always going to be where you live your contact number and your date and place of birth now in mortgage advice it's really important to make sure that you get a place of birth a lot of people don't think about it but it might be important for the underwriting of the mortgage so if you haven't established where your domicile is if you're not a resident of the uk that might throw a real big spanner in the works for a lot of mortgage companies so that's really important If somebody turns around and says, oh, I live and I work in the UK, but I'm actually from Italy and I'm still an Italian resident, might be a problem. Another hard fact is marital status. So are you single, married, you in a civil partnership? Are you cohabiting? Are you divorced, widowed? And there may be others that I've not considered, but those are usually the highlights. So with these kind of situations, if there's two of you, it's usually preferable to have both partners of a relationship involved in the financial planning process. But a lot of couples don't want to do that. They want to take out their own mortgage. They want to keep their finances separate. There is nothing wrong with that as long as everything matches on the affordability. So if you speak to somebody who says he has a wife and children, but he wants to take this mortgage out on his own, that's cool as long as the the affordability matches and all the other ducks align. So with family details, there might be family members or there might be clients who have either got financial dependence or they might be financially dependent. So that's a really important one to talk about. I know that we've spoken about dependence before, but children is one of the biggest ones. It's super important that we understand what their commitments are with relation to children, even if it's children from a previous relationship that they might not have much involvement with anymore. We still have to know about it. So you still have to be able to ask those kind of questions because... One of the many reasons is we need to make sure that they're given the appropriate advice about protection against death and disability if they're taking out a mortgage. I know that we've covered this before, um, so if you've not listened to any of the other podcasts, I would definitely recommend that you loop back to the insurance needs. But Maria, now you should be an absolute pro in knowing what kind of stuff somebody might need if they've got kids and they're looking for a mortgage. Yeah. 
I have so many children and so many mortgages. So much confidence with that answer. I know I'm doing a really good job. Uh, I wanted to explain a little bit more about what we mean when we say we want to know more about somebody's financial situation because that's probably quite a broad sentence. So the kind of stuff you'd ask a client would be stuff like your employment status. Are you in full-time employment? Are you self-employed? Are you not employed? Are you a director of a company or a partner in a company? Like, how do you make your money? How regular is it? How secure is it? So the easiest kind of mortgage applications are somebody that go, I'm in full-time employment with a full-time contract and I've been in this job for seven years and this is how much I get every month and every quarter I get this much bonus. That's like the dream scenario, but not everybody lives like that. I was going to say, how often does the dream scenario happen? It's normally, this is a situation, but also all of these things. Exactly. So that's the first thing you need to get a really good understanding of. Um, What you will find is if somebody's self-employed, you need way more information than if they're in full-time employment. So that's always something to be conscious of. The next thing that we need to be aware of is people's income and benefits. So they might not just get income from their employment. They might get income from other sources, like they might have shares in companies. They might get income from a family member or they might get child support from an ex-partner. They also might get benefits. So you need to establish an exact breakdown of somebody's income by their component parts. And what that means is, like, what's their basic salary? What's their commission? What's their bonus? How much child benefit do they get? Do they get any support with childcare fees in the form of universal credit? All that kind of stuff. And also, you need to establish the exact nature of any benefits that they might get. So... Do they get any private medical insurance through work? Do they get a company car? Do they pay towards a pension? Do they get a death in service detail? All of that really exciting financial stuff you need to have a really good idea of. Basically, you need to know everything about a customer if you want to recommend them for a mortgage. That's the only way you're going to get it through the next stage. Oh, income and expenditure. So as well as getting an idea of what somebody might earn, you need to get an idea of what they pay for. The easiest way to do this is most lenders will ask for three months worth of bank statements, but you want to make your life easier. So you want to know how much they pay in loans. So do they have credit card debt? Do they have any outstanding loans? Do they have a car on finance? Do they have any nursery fees that they have to pay for? Do they subscribe to Netflix or YouTube or any other more dubious channels that they have to pay for on a monthly basis. You need to know all about that kind of stuff and how much they spend so you can make sure that they can actually reasonably afford whatever a monthly mortgage repayment might be. A lot of items can be really easily determined. So if there's anything that's paid by standing order, like rent or savings or household bills, they can be accounted for really easily, but it can be a lot more difficult to pin down how much is spent on stuff like food and drink or holidays or cars there is an average calculation that a lot of people use but it's always worth asking the question because my idea of a pretty expensive monthly shop might be totally different to the next you know my next door neighbor might have a completely different understanding of it so it's all about finding out all of their preferences maria are you with me so far do you have any questions i am so far all the I suppose this is the information gathering stage. That's exactly what this is. The mortgage application. Do you take their word for it? Or is it all supported with evidence? So you see the bank statements, you need to see the bill for nursery or, you know, whatever it is. Do you have to support 
so I can't just turn around and be like, yeah, I pay eleven ninety nine for Netflix or whatever it is a month. You actually need to see that. You can't just be like, high five, I believe you. <laughs> yes. So at the fact finding process, at the fact finding stage, you would effectively you would take their word for it. When it comes to the application stage, so it, there's a couple of different ways you do it. If you work for a mortgage broker, where you might have fifty different lenders that you could get the mortgage with. You would do this fact find stage, you would make sure everything lines up in theory, and then you would say, cool, so now I need evidence. I need three months' worth of pay slips from your employer, and I need three months' worth of bank statements so I can see exactly what comes out. At that point, you marry up the information to make sure that the customer is telling the truth. You would be surprised by how many customers don't realise how much they spend, or they hide it because they want to get a bigger mortgage. So you have to back up everything anyway, but this is like the first step of the process. The next step would be saying, cool, so on paper, your affordability looks great. And I don't think we'd have any problems finding you a mortgage. But now I need you to show me that everything that you've said is true. Yeah. With me? I am with you. I'm like, I have so many questions that are just completely unrelated. Like, how much do people lie? Do they do they just not tell you the truth? Like, I have so many questions, which obviously are completely irrelevant. But now I'm being nosy. No, they're not irrelevant. Like, the people that are listening to this or watching this will probably have the same questions if they're looking at going into a role. So always ask them. And, yes, people do lie quite a lot. As a general rule of thumb, people can talk out of their arses on a regular occasion, but a lot of that is them just not having, you know, if you're comfortable, and when I say comfortable, I mean you never have to look at your bank statement because you know you definitely have more coming in every month than you have going out. That's a great place to be but it means you're probably going to be pretty blasé with the money that you spend because you know you're not going to go overdrawn. Yeah, and you don't actually pay attention to what you're spending money on. Exactly. And then there's the people who go into this situation having seen a house that they absolutely love. They love it. They've fallen for it, head over heels hard, and they know that they might not be a match on the affordability, so they lie because it's always worth a shot, right? Spoiler, that's not the case. If you get a hard search and you fail for a mortgage, it's not going to look great next time you want to apply for a more reasonable mortgage. So That impacts you, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So if you get to the point where you submit a mortgage application and then they turn around and say, well, no, actually what you've told us isn't right and we're going to decline you, you can get a hard search on your file, which in turn detriments your credit score, which then makes you less likely to get accepted for the next mortgage that you apply for. So... Pay attention to your expenses. Know Mm -hmm. what you're spending your money on. Don't lie. It's really important as a mortgage advisor to have this chat early on with the client and just say, you know, I know I need a lot of information from you and I need to take up a lot of your time and that is super inconvenient. But this, especially if it's a first time purchase, you know, explain to them that this is the biggest financial decision they'll ever make. And it is difficult to get accepted for a mortgage and you're there to help, but they need to be transparent with you. And everything that I've just explained... Relationship comes in. Personal relationship and relationship building. You know, that customer services element really does pay dividends in the end. That's it. If you can explain to the customer that you're basically there to have their back and you need to make sure that everything lines up and you're on their side, at that point, they're way more likely to be like, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to give Maria my inside leg measurement and all the information that she needs because I want this mortgage. But it's about having the foundations of that relationship where the customer doesn't just think you just irritating them. And it is a fine line because a lot of customers can feel irritated really quick. You're like, cool, so what's your date of birth? And that's it. 
off at the deep end. Yeah. So it is really difficult. It's just about finding that balance. And the more you do it, the more you get to know your customers and the better you get at it and then the more money you make. So it's just a, it's just a learning curve. The next thing that we need to cover is assets. So you have to figure out what a customer's assets are, if any. And there's a bunch of different types of assets that people can have. So it might be that they already own a house. This might be the second mortgage or the second property. You, you won't know that unless you ask the question because a lot of people won't even think to tell you because they won't think it's important. It is important. So if they've got an investment asset, which might be cash savings, pensions, um, shares, property, you need to know about that kind of stuff. You need to know basically the size of the investment and the projected future value of the investment if you think it's going to be related to the mortgage, if it's something that pays out monthly as well, a rate of return because that's going to get added onto the income. But basically, ask about investments because not a lot of people will think about mentioning it. Maria, are you comfortable with the word asset? <laughs> yes. Are you sure? <laughs> so, in terms of asset, are we talking anything that is sizably expensive? No, sorry. So, an asset is basically something that makes you money or that you have in money. So, an asset could be a house. It could be a savings account. It could be an investment. So an asset is basically, you know, when people talk about their net worth. Oh, well, my net worth is £120,000. Yeah, basically what they've done is they've collected everything that they own and given it a cash value. And that's their net worth. And that's when they talk about assets. So, so your property is an asset. Your car is an asset. Your oh, probably is. amount of climbing gear would be classed as an asset. That's interesting. Art? Art would also be classed as an inve- as an asset. They're known as alternative investments, but it's still classed as an asset. But, I mean, case in point, my 17-year-old Land Rover Discovery versus mm-hmm. my mum's mate who has a classic Aston Martin collection. Slightly different form of assets, yes. But assets nonetheless, unless the disco is causing you great financial difficulty in which case probably not Land Rover owners out there will understand that yes that is in fact the case (laughs) it does cause me great financial difficulty equally we also need to know about a client's liabilities so this is kind of what you were talking about so outstanding financial commitments so if they've got a credit card if they've got car on finance if they have a loan to pay off their sofa or a loan that they used to pay off traveling around the world five years ago, you need to know how much debt they're in. So the amount of all of these loans, the balance that's outstanding on them, because if you pay it off every month, the balance outstanding is going to be not the total loan amount that you took out in the first place. Have I explained that well enough? Yes. Cool. How long is left down the road now? Say again. I feel that we're far enough down the road that people should be keeping up at this point with that sort of stuff. If I can, you guys can. Exactly. The type of loan that it is, so if it's secured or unsecured. Maria, we covered this last week. Can you remember what those things mean? No. That's okay. So secured is when a loan is secured on something, like a property or a car. And unsecured. unsecured is not, and they have higher interest rates to account for the lack of security. Bingo, there you go, you remembered. 
um, and how much they pay per month and how they repay. Generally, that's just, it comes out of their bank account. All that kind of stuff, all those kind of questions are things that you need to know because you need to be able to work out if they can afford their monthly mortgage repayments. So the one, the last thing that we have time to cover today is vulnerable customers. We've mentioned this in quite a few different topics before, but it is highlighted more heavily in topic 14. So the FCA describes a vulnerable customer as someone who is especially susceptible to detriment as a result of their personal circumstances, particularly when a firm is not providing appropriate levels of care. So a new thing came into place just like last week, where basically if you speak to any sort of financial institution, on the initial phone call, they have to ask if you require additional support for anything. So it might be that you're hard of hearing. It might be that you're in a massive amount of debt and you're struggling. It might be that you're grieving. It, it literally could be anything. They now have a responsibility to ask that question at the first point of call, which is a really big step in all financial services in the UK. So we can celebrate that little win. But basically, an individual might be vulnerable because of stuff like a physical or a mental disability. They might be in really poor health. They might have really poor numeracy or literacy skills. You can speak to people who say, well, you can send me a mortgage contract through the post, but I actually can't read. And we have to be able to accommodate for those customers. So the vulnerabilities might be short term. For example, they might have just lost their job or they might be, you know, they might have suffered a recent bereavement or they might have just come out of prison. All of those kind of circumstances would class somebody as a vulnerable customer and businesses and mortgage advisors have a responsibility to identify and deal appropriately with these customers. So you've got to tailor your service provisions and the way that you communicate to meet the specific needs of each vulnerable customer. If you turn around to somebody and said, cool, I'm going to send you some information in the post, you need to read it and you need to sign it. And they say, well, I'm blind. And you're like, cool, good luck with that. I'll speak to you next week. Poor service. Absolutely cannot recommend it is really important that you put your customers first. That is the whole point of topic 14, is talking about putting your customers first. That's it. I mean, I'm here for it as a movement. Me too. And that's it. That's all we've got time for. We've actually ran out of time. You know where to find us. Head on over to Instagram, which is at Future in Finance. We're all about keeping things fresh and wanting to provide the best possible learning experience. So please, if you do have any feedback... If there was anything that did work, that didn't work, you found us really annoying or you just wanted to say hi, please get in touch. I'd really, really love to hear how your learning journey is going. More and more people every week are listening to that section and then getting in touch, which honestly makes my life, so please keep doing it. That's topic 14, boxed off to a measure. Remember, it's not a comprehensive study guide. If you do want them, we do the audio study guide files, which are 50% off at the minute at cmap.com. Uh, and you have the option of purchasing one topic at a time as well, meaning if you've got a handle on most of the self-study, but there's one particular topic that is just doing your head in, you can buy it for just a tenner. There are so many different ways that I can help. I'm not going to bang through them all today on the podcast, but please go and check me out on Instagram. TikTok is at Future in Finance UK. You can find me on Spotify. You can find me at cmap.com. And as of right now, you can also find us on YouTube. My favorite people... <laughs> Go better yourself. Go get the career you want and go get help with your CMAP studies with me at Future in Finance. As always, reach out if you want to. I've already said that. I'm waffling. I am really sorry. It has been an absolute dream having you here. Thank you so much to Maria also for putting up with everything, all of it. I appreciate it and I appreciate you. <laughs>